Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Barry? Uh, going forward, yes, um, we but can before hear. going forward, going back, um, all right, um, I had a discussion with what we were doing with my wife, Kathy, uh, last week, and this, uh, I was in the impression that when we began with uh, this is like a new story. Like, like we, we're, we're taking a break from the previous story with midwives, now we're having a new story. But it actually begins with the Vyasav, that the, 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 the Vav connects this current story about throwing the boy, all the boys in the river with the previous story of uh, the Pharaoh and the, and the midwives and the Jewish boys. Um, there is a connection here. Which I wasn't able to under wasn't able to respond. What what's the connection with if in the previous it's it, it's it's Pharaoh as Melech, it's, it's a Melech uh, telling uh, the midwives all Jewish boys um, kill them, and now it's Pharaoh that all the people must throw all boys in the river. And I couldn't figure out the connection because it begins with the with the buff. Why the buff? No, I, I got stuck. Yeah, I mean, many a very very high, a very very high percentage of Torah verses begin with vavs, right? Because it's just the way the the, the grammar works that the vav ha'hipuch um, and the vav ha'mechaber just kind of. T- tells a story in a way that you actually, your English teachers tell you not to tell you not to do in English, right? You're, you're always marked off on an English paper if you're be- getting a sentence with the word and, um, because it, it's, it seems like a sloppy way of connecting the two sentences. We believe in our periods at the end of the verse and beginning each sentence with a new thought. Torah, Torah grammar, Torah syntax begins with ands all the time. And it's not always clear to figure out is the is the vav an and? Is the vav a but? Is the vav um, suggesting a continuation of a thought, or is it disjunctive, um, and that, that therefore it leaves itself open to wonderful different interpretations? Um, let's jump into verse uh, two because I think that we finished verse one last week, including the Rashi on one last week. Does anyone dispute that? Anyone? We all agree that we finished the Rashi and the ver- first verse, the second chapter. Okay. Um, by the way, some of you saw on Facebook that um, my Facebook memory, no, maybe Renee's Facebook memory unearthed um, one of our Parsha from a few years ago. And when I posted that in 2016, I predicted that we were going to finish the entire book of Shemot um, in December of 2020. And so we did it about 10 months early, which I don't know how we did, particularly because there was a large chunk of time in the middle of that uh, when I was away on sabbatical, but I think it means that we're going too fast. So s- slow down, everyone. Stop stop the rushing me on to the next verse. Let's slow down and finally, finally to study the Torah with some sense of deliberation. Okay, Judy, do you want to uh, read verse two in chapter two? I've unmuted you, or you have to I'll accept the unmute. You're still unmuted. Now unmuted. Go. Good. Here we go. 
chapter one, uh, chapter one, two, verse two. Two, verse two. Got it. Vatahar haisha, vatelet ben, vatere oto. Kitov, kitov hu, vatitspinehu shlosha irachim. Okay, try to translate that. Okay. And she is it that she became pregnant, the woman? Correct. In in modern and, Hebrew, beherayon means to be pregnant. The root is hara hey reish hey. I read different etymological stories about the origin of that um, of that uh, root. Some people believe, and some people def- do not believe. There's a machloket on it that it's related to the word har, because when a pregnant woman lies on her back. Her belly looks like a har, like a mountain. So some people who are ah, dubious of that, that, some people think that's the exact uh, reason why. But the root hey reish hey means to be born or be pregnant. You know it from the high holiday liturgy, hayom harat olam, right? That we say that after the uh, shofar blasts. Um, sorry, after well, uh, yeah, after the shofar blasts of the uh, of the, the musaf section. Rabbi Chorney wrote a, a beautiful tune to it. Today, we often translate as today is the birthday of the world. It really means today is the impregnation of the world. Uh, Larry, you have a question, a comment, or Diane? Any relation to tahara? Tahar? Um, tahara, like purity? I don't think so, because the ta- in, in purity, that the tet, in the beginning of that uh, root, tet heresh, is, I think, critical to that show resh show unless we're playing with the sense of roots that we sometimes do, which is that two of the three roots of a three root letter, if they're the same, they might come from the same family. But um, my instinct is to say no there. It's a, it's a homonym or homophone in some ways, but not a, a related root. Okay, so cue translating Judy. Batelet Ben. And um, she gave birth to a boy. And saw, and saw that he was good. Looked good. upon him and saw it was good. Good. Vatera Oto, she saw him. And then Kitovu, that he was good. She that saw he him was that good. it was good. Okay. Let's keep translating and then we'll throw out some questions. Anyone know the root of Tsadi Peinun? Is, does that have to do with north? So interesting. Tzaphon uh, in modern Hebrew means north. Um, it also can mean like um, like like a place on a compass. Like I think it's a matzpen is a compass in, in modern Hebrew. Um, but I'm not sure that's what the meaning is here. Sue, what do you think? Uh, it's a fui, something that's expected or anticipated is what I think. Um, that he, it was expected that he would be, there were great expectations um, for him. Although it's interesting because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have connected it to Tzaphon at all. But if you want to say northward, it's kind of similar to saying upward or to some kind of aspirational idea. I think mm. that there, you could the stretch, but you could probably... Um, conflate those a little bit. But I, I think it's about expectations, I think. 
So on the expectations line, it's a beautiful drush. On the wrong, <laughs> and not right. <laughs> on the wrong root, because the nun of Atitz Pinehu is part of the root here. It's Tzafun, not Tzafui, right? It's not Harhat Sofim, but there's a nun built into it. Uh, Matt? Can't hear you. Still can't hear you. Still cannot hear you. It means hidden, hidden, like the, hidden, hidden, like the Afikoblin is hidden. Oh. Very good, right? So, and Stevie put that in, in the in the chats as well. So, one another uh, root of Tzadi Peinun, in addition to a, a place on a compass, is concealed. So, if we build that into this verse, she she, she saw him. Vatitz Penehu. How would you then render that, Judy? She what? That she uh, hid him away. Yeah. For, and how long did she hide him away? For three months. Three months. For yeah, three right. moons. Three moons. Very good. Okay. So since we know the story, this is going to be, you know, a lot of this material is going to be reading slowly over a story that we've told hundreds of times, you know, in our lives. Um, if, if, if you're Rashi, right, or you're anticipating Rashi, what questions would you, would you ask on this verse? Don't try to answer them. What questions? What what what's what's potentially puzzling? Who has a question on the verse? Marshall. I don't know what the word tov means. Right. It's the easiest word in the verse, which means it's the hardest word in the verse. Because whatever the word tov means, could it possibly mean good? Right? Like like and if it meant good. In w- 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 what of substance is it saying? Right? We we talk. I sometimes give this rash on the phrase "Hodunai Kitov." Uh, praise God because God is good. Using the English word "good," even though the English word "good" and the English word "God" are related to one another, right? Etymologically, the way "good" has become so banal, so par of doubt. There's no way that the original Hebrew "tov" meant yeah, not bad. Right. So what does Tov mean? And then if I could build in your question, what does Tov mean such that only when she saw that this baby was Tov, she decided to hide him? Right. Doesn't the verse suggest that she saw him? She said, oh, this baby is Tov. Oh, then, then, then I've got to hide him to suggest that if she thought that the baby was not Tov, she wouldn't have hit him. Right. The key Tov seems to be a rationale for the hiding. Uh, Renee, your hands up. Uh, Everett Fox gives an explanation, not in the text, but it gives an explanation that interprets the Hebrew tov as healthy, given the context, not good. And how would that help the context? How, well, how would... she's, because she's having a baby boy that's healthy, and he. it was determined that any boys that were born, presumably they were healthy boys that were born, because if they weren't healthy, they would have died on their own, that those were the ones that were going to be Lost away. Very good, right? So one of the ways of reading Tov here is viable, right? Worthy of the risk, going back to the risk and reward conversation, worthy of the risk of trying to hide, particularly in an era where many children were not born Tov, not born viable, not, not worth risking your life to save its life because has very little chance of surviving. Uh, who's it? Rebecca's Leonard's hand was up? Someone's hand was up. No? Norman, Rachel, was your hand up? Um, Go ahead. 
I was going to say the same thing that particularly where he's born prematurely, which we seem to get hints of later. Um, many children even now might not be viable, but how much the more so then. And so she, you know, she didn't know for sure that he'd be good even in, in, in the basic ways. And um, if she was going to go to great, great risks to save him, it probably paid to do so for a very healthy baby. Great. Dan, Larry. And then we'll go, to, we'll go to Judy. What, what Norm said, it seems that some of the commentators, obviously from Midrash, I don't know where it's from, are convinced that he was born three months premature. So she looked at the premature uh, baby, Chesuni said she looked at his fingernails and toenails and saw that they were fully formed, fully formed and that he was healthy. He was good to go. Um, and there's also commentary that she saw that he was already circumcised at birth, which throws me for a loop. We're going to get to the, um, the, the being born as a preemie in the second of Rashi's comments. Um, all of these commentaries are trying to figure out that, that double move of the verse. Why, what does Tov mean and why is it important for us to know it? And how was the baby being named as Tov part of her deliberation to do the Batitz Penehu? Um, Rebecca Leonard, then Judy, then Matt. Um, well, it's interesting you use the term in English, he was named good, because I was actually just going to say that not only do we not know the names of the parents, but usually when a, a child is born, you know, then... The Tanakh says, and he was named such and such. So we still don't have a name um, for this boy. So that just seems so different than other passages. Yeah, right. It, we're, we're learning about him, and we know something about his qualities. Um, but we have, but we, but but he's 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 nameless. He's obviously we we know because we know the story. He's not going to be named even by her. He's going to be named as he's pulled out of the river. Um, uh, I, have a, oh. I have a comment as well. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Titzba Nehu, um, the, the hidden part, you might recall that, um, what's his name? Joseph was called, his Egyptian name was Tzafnat Paneach, mm-hmm. which, which, which also has that same root, and apparently that also means hidden. So we have two different leaders here that are being hidden for some reason. A wonderful connection. Great. I never, I never thought about the connection between Safna Paneach and Matitz Panehu. Great. Judy, then Matt, then Rick. Did she see him with her eyes or did she see him with her heart? And is the Tov something that's visible and concrete or is it a premonition, an intuition, a vision, so to speak. Great. So hold on to that notion of a vision because Rashi's going to get to that in his first comment. And if you go to the kind of the normal colloquial way that at least our society talks about how to size up a baby, not like you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous, like as if a, as if a newborn ought to be sized up. But, you know, the baby's born and say, oh, look how cute, right? So like, like how precious. Um, so... It, it, yeah, but it doesn't make sense if the tov has to do with its looks. 
why would any mother choose to determine whether or not to save the baby based on whether or not it was cute? Right? Does it make sense that it's a that it's a um, a, phys- a physical description? There are some who believe that the tov here um, has to do with um, not crying a lot because um, it's much harder to hide a baby who's loud, who's colicky, than a baby who's quiet. And that she saw really kind of almost vayarat kolot uh, from, from Exodus going to Shavuot, that she, she saw a sound or she saw the absence of sound. She saw that she was a quiet baby and therefore worth taking the risk of trying to save him from the murderers. Uh, Matt and then Rick. Okay, hi. I have an interesting thing here in this weird Israeli version of the of the of our book, and it's from Baal Haturim. Okay, I don't quite understand. Who's normally who's primarily a halachist? He wrote the book called the Arba Turim, the Four Pillars, which is the book upon which the Shulchan Aruch was based. But he also has a running commentary on parts of the Tanakh. Go ahead. Cool. All right. So I don't quite understand it. So I was hoping. You could, you could, I mean, here at the beginning, he says there are. If I understand this correctly, there's a hey with a, 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 an apostrophe, which I think means five. And there, he says there are five tagin, taf, gimel, yud, nun. Yeah. What does a tag mean here? And then he says how he gets that. He says there are two tags in the bet. There's one tag in the, in the vav, and there's two tags in the bet at the end. Anyhow, from which he gets five. Then he goes on to say, that this means that he was going to receive the five books of the Torah. As it is said, Kilekach Tov Natati Lachem. So he's, he's connecting uh, the, the Tov of this baby to the Tov of Torah. I'm not sure what he means by the Tag. I wonder if it's something scribal, like the way a scribe writes letters. I have no idea. Tag is like a, is like a, like a, a thingy on top of a letter, but I'm not sure yes. what he's referring to. Okay. Rick. So Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes. My, Wait, me? Were you done, Rick? I mean, uh, Matt, were you done? Yeah, I was just saying it, yeah, it deserves more, more research. I'll, I'll see what I can find out. Okay, carry on. Me? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the tagim are, are the decorations on top of the letters, exactly. Huh. Uh, huh. And they don't have anything to do with pronunciation. Uh, you have the one on the shin sin, it's always on the left, but it doesn't tell you if it's a shin or a sin. It's just, it's just there. And um, and that's uh, Dil Raita, right, Rabbi? We don't know uh, where those came from, right? Right. Lachala Moshe Misinai, it says, given given as law to Moses at Sinai. Yeah. Um, Which well, what, the what ones that? on top? But the I, ones I, on I, top I, of the letters. You have like to, the seraph, the seraph, you mean? You have to be looking at a version of it as it appears in the Torah to see what the the Bala oh, Okay. It's the decorations on top of the Torah script Got it. that the scribe does. Um, I wanted to go off of the phrase Vatera Oto Kitovhu mm-hmm. um, because you could take it out and it, it doesn't change uh, the sentence, right? She, she right. had a son and she hit him three months. Right. So um, I looked ahead. I know that's bad, but I, I know that the daughter of Pharaoh looks at Moses and and there it's the same verb uh twice uh um first they look and they see the the teva and and second they look and he's crying so the fact that he's good looking or or cute or or whatever just um 
it does tug at your heartstrings, like Judy was saying, and um, that that's what I got out of that. Great, thank you, Rick. Uh, Norm, uh, Rachel, and then we're gonna look at Rashi. Uh, Marshall's hands up as also. So first, Norm, Rachel. Okay. Um, the verse Shlosha Harahim. Yerachim. Uh, why is Yerachim used for months instead of Horashim? Yeah. So, so that's that's a good question with not an easy answer. Um, an attempt at an answer is that they're synonyms, and even the Torah was aware of synonyms. And Chodesh and Yerach or Yareach are bo- both mean moon. Um, why the the use of Yareach here and not Chodesh? I don't know. I'm, 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 I'd be curious if anyone has a thought. But they are indeed synonyms, and the Torah uses them somewhat interchangeably. Okay. Okay. Marshall. The word Sadi Pei Nun, we know that from Pesach, Safun, Afikoman, that is which is concealed. I hadn't Correct. thought of that before. Secondly, yes. by Yarod and Aiki Tov, we go back to Genesis. God saw that it was good. And here, the mother is the one who gives birth. In effect, we're talking about the beginning of the world. And finally, there's a comment in the JPS commentary that said originally, God's a Midrash that originally Moses was supposed to have a different name. And his name was supposed to be Tovia. Mm. Tovia, right. Good, the goodness of God or God's goodness. Right. Well, that goes back to what Rebecca was saying before, that are we, could, could also be read as Vayar, Toki Tovu, that she was both seeing him and naming him in one fell swoop, because we are, we are used to babies being named as soon as they're introduced to us. But, but let me use the penultimate thing that you said as the springboard to the Rashi comment, because... Um, some of you have written it in the chat, in the chat, and we've been speaking about it. That the, the most obvious tov, or the first tov, um, in the Torah, are are how God sees creation, God, how God sees God's births. God gives birth to day one, day two, and says kitov. Some even get kitov maod. It's a totally non-contextual tov, right? I've given this drash before, also you've heard me give it. The first contextual tov in the Torah that we have some understanding as to what the Torah means by it is chapter two. Maybe chapter three, I think chapter two. Lo tov heyot adam levado. It is not good for a man to be alone. The first time tov is defined in the Torah, tov is defined as the antidote of loneliness. But whatever tov is, it's the opposite of loneliness. But in the first chapter of Reishi, all tov is, is God's reaction to what God has created, God has birthed. And now we're seeing a woman seeing what she has given birth to, and her reaction to it is the same as God's reaction to it. And what is the first thing that God creates? Yehi what? Yehi or. Right. Let there be light. Keep that in mind, Judy, as you're reading the Rashi. So read the first Rashi on, actually the only Rashi on this, on this verse. Okay, now we can hear you, Judy. Thank you. Okay. So now I'm going to read Rashi for you. Mm-hmm. And sorry, I can't help it. Rashi will enlighten us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. At be- at because uh, since when he was born... 
the house filled, the entire house filled with light. And there is a notation here that 34. Can I read 34? The notation says it's from Masechet Sota, the Talmud chapter of Sota. 14. 12, uh, from Sota. Yud Bet Aleph. Right. So it's from the 12th page of Masechet Sota. So right. here's one of the uh, Rashi saying a lot in, a f- in only a few words, and assuming we're going to get all the references. Like when people are so used to talking with each other, they can drop, you know, references to books or movies or jokes, and you know exactly what they're talking about. So even though he doesn't say, doesn't connect his five-word comment with the beginning of Breshit, it has to be that, right? And, and, I'm, and I know that if you opened up the book of Masechet Sota, um, it, it, would, it would say it a little bit more explicitly. Otherwise, you would say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that, that Tov here means that the house is filled with light? Because we know that the first thing called Tov, the first thing that was created, the first creator who gave birth to something, was God giving birth to light and calling that light, calling that first day Tov. So what? So the hint here is she saw that he was Tov. This is uh, saying several things simultaneously. One, someone, somebody said, I forgot who it was, that she saw... Uh, um, Sue, when you were reading Batitz who as, as if it was from to predict the future, right? Um, you actually hit 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 the nail on the target somewhat by accident in terms of the of the route, because what what this suge- is suggesting is that she saw that he was going to be a great person. That, that you know, it's almost a almost like a Jesus moment, right? That the baby's born and the whole house fills with light. And it's an indication that something big is happening here. That's not happening in every woman's tent as she's giving birth, right? Um, the other thing it's suggesting is that this moment was as significant to the creation of our people as the first day was to the creation of the universe, right? It's also linking. It's, it's like everything is starting over again. So Breshit starts Breshit and the world and Shmot now that Moshe is going to be born, is starting the Jewish people, right? So it's also linking the two creation stories, creation of the world and the creation of B'nai Yisrael, right? That move from family to nation. So that all is there built into this word, into this comment. And it's Rashi rejecting some of the other ways of reading it. Like if you look quickly at Sforno, bottom left in our page, Kitovhu, Sforno says, Yafeh, he was cute, Right? Because Tov does mean that in some places in Genesis. Ki Tovot Hena, right? That, um, that uh, they, were, they, 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 were, they were good to look at. So since Tov can mean beautiful, Tovat Mareh, beautiful, good to look at, Sforno says, no, it was a cute baby. Um, what Sforno adds, if you, if you keep reading, Ra'atahu Yafed Yoter Morgal. Not just cute, but really cute. You know, every every baby thing, every parent thinks that his or her child is the cutest one in the nursery. Well, Sforno says, Yocheved really thought, no, you don't understand how cute my baby is. Really cute, more than normal. So she thought that his cuteness, his beauty, his overwhelming um, delectability was a sign from his creator that he had some very specific destiny, a specific destiny. Okay, so um, that's Rashi on on all of that. 
Let's go to Larry, Diane, and then Barbara. I'm just want to add that Rashbam, if you look at Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, it's before Sforno, so it's out of, out of order, calls him a liar. She says, any, he says, anyone who translates that she only hit him because he was good is lying. Mm. He takes a very strong position, like his grandfather, mm. that any other explanation is not true. Yeah, I'm not sure Ra- Rashi is disconnecting the seeing him as Tov and the hiding him as much as Rashbam is. Rashi is saying it's not because he was cute; it's because she saw that the 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 the, whole, the, the holy one was was indicating with the house filling with light that this was a special child. So I think Rashi is connecting Kiratahu and Vatitzpanehu, and maybe his grandson is saying, uh, I, I, "I can't, I can't, I can't live with that association." Um, but I think Rashi is making that association. It's not because of his, he was good looking, but because the house suggested something miraculous happening. It was it was oracular in that regard. Um, Barbara, you know, I, oh, go ahead. I, I don't. I guess I don't take um, Rashbam and the subsequent commentators to be rejecting the, uh, rejecting that. What they're what they're purely rejecting is that. Maybe they're rejecting even the story about him being premature. That it's not that he was simply good-looking or physically healthy. It's because he was special in the same way that Rashi's connecting it to his being special, connecting it to Bereshit. This is, as you said, the new creation story. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing, um, I want to say nothing more than that because there's a lot there. But it's not the alternative explanation he was healthy, he survived, he was premature. Right. So, Rashbam, so if, if you read the longer, if you read Rashbam through, he almost contradicts himself because he says that it, it, it's, it's libelous to suggest that yeah. the hiding was connected to the seeing. But he does then say what she saw is that even though he was born early, he, he, he was viable, he was going to make it, and therefore worthy of being hidden and could be hidden long enough before the Egyptians came to check on their, uh, on their preg- on the, on the pregnant Israelites. And that's going to connect to Rashi's comment on the second verse that we're about to read. There is this widespread notion in Midrashic literature that Moshe was brought premature, born premature and that the three months of the hiding indicates that. So why don't we do this? Why don't we hear the other comments on this, that are, are the hands that are up? And then read verse three, and then maybe we'll come back to Rush Bomb. Barbara and then Renee. Can't hear you yet, Barbara. You got to unmute yourself. Having been in the delivery room and having delivered quite a few babies when I was young, I can tell you that virtually every mother and nowadays fathers in the delivery room feel that their baby is the most gorgeous thing. And it's not really gorgeous. They, 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 they just think, even when they're ugly babies, parents are thrilled with their babies, especially when it's a first baby, but even second, third, fourth babies, the thrill that parents have when the baby is born is unbelievable. And I, somehow I think that we're overreading the idea that, that the mother could have possibly thought that something was going to happen to him. Um, 
maybe she did, but I, I don't remember ever seeing a parent that wasn't thrilled, especially the mother, to be able to hold the baby, and even the fathers now. And in those days, fathers weren't allowed in the, in the delivery room. And Rashi would have had no idea what it felt like to the mother to have the baby because they weren't allowed, fathers weren't allowed in. Yeah. Listen, it's, it's, it's a double evolutionary thing that, 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 that mothers look at their babies and, and, and feel a rush of endorphin to want to care for that baby. And, and, and for babies to come out looking cute because if they, because if the, if the babies did not come, come out and induce that um, instinct by the parent, like that's, that's, that's why the runs to the litter don't survive. Right. And uh, in, in our society, we make sure that the runs to the litter do survive. Right. But in, in the animal kingdom, of course, that's not the case. So on some level, even if we don't, we don't want to admit it, we all agree that the toveness, the goodness, the, the delightfulness, the cuteness, the sweetness of a baby is indeed one of the reasons that makes us invest so much of our time and energy and, and emotionality into it, right? Um, and we don't want to think, God forbid, of, of us deciding not to care for a child because it wasn't cute. On the other hand, if you had to make a decision about when to take the risk, um, you might you might be moved by how likely you thought that child was to survive this period of time. Um, yeah, it, was di- it was different than that way for survival. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Renee, Renee, you going to say something? Yeah. So there's a notation here that says, according to Mizrahi, the fact that the entire house filled with light was a sign to Yochevet that her son would be the subject of special divine protection. Yes. And so relying on that protection, she put him in the basket in the water. Right. Mizrahi is a super commentary on Rashi. He doesn't come on the Torah comments on Rashi. And yes, he's trying to explain because, because the Rashi comment is so terse, we, we, you can ask two questions on Rashi. A, um, how does Rashi know that the house was filled with light? How does that, how do you get that from Tov? And how did the house filling with light impact her decision to save him? And that's Mizrahi trying to fill that in. Um, Rebecca and Leonard. And then Andrew, and then Judy, and then we're going to go forward. I'm looking in uh, Safaria, and I see a commentator here I've never heard of before, whose name is Paneach Raza. So because of the Paneach, I decided to take a look at it. No idea who he is. Okay, interesting. And uh, he takes the words, Oto Kitovhu. And in Gematria says that's exactly the same as Shinolad Mahul Levi. So he was born circumcised a Levi. And then he concludes, So therefore we say that praise God for he is good at the time of a circumcision. Um, A scientist named Arthur just turned over in his grave. <laughs> Gematria is wonderful, um, except when it's it's spurious. I guess it's always spurious. Um, but um, yeah, you, you, n- numbers are are so flexible and fungible that if you get enough of them together, you can figure out some you can figure out some kind of connection. But yes, there there is a notion that um, which is uh, undermined by Tzipora's having to circumcise Moshe later that somehow Moshe is is, is born not having needed a, mo- a mohel or a mohelet. Uh, Andrew. 
Hey, I was, I, I, and I don't even mean this tongue in cheek. I was wondering whether there were other examples of Tanakh characters who were, you know, luminescent and whether that also connected to this whole creation luminescence thing, because it doesn't sound familiar. Right. Um, right. It, it's a little Christological, right? It's, it's uh, like the, like the, the algae that was on our shores for a few weeks. Uh, um, did anyone go down to the shore at night and get pictures of the, of the, of the, of the bioluminescence of the, of the water? I, I kept seeing pictures of it and never made it down. I saw it during the day and it looked red, reddish and unpleasant, but at night apparently it looked beautiful. Um, we, uh, if you just think of the way, you know, artistic culture uh, and pop culture associates with a child with a corona, no pun intended, of light around its head, that's very Christological, right? Like, and I think of artistic depictions of the manger. It's a dirty, dark manger, and then a halo of light around baby Jesus, right? And all of the Renaissance paintings that are so dark and red in, in, in the background, and then this, there's this, this, this aura of light around the baby. It's a Christological notion. Um, I, I, I certainly don't think there's any shot in Torah and I do, I do not have a comprehensive knowledge of all the verses of Tanakh, but my, my instinct is that there's no, there's no story where in the shot it suggests that there's luminescence on the, on the birth. Um, and the one whose birth gets most of that attention is Moshe. Are there Midrashim that when, I don't know, when, when, when uh, Samson is born, that there was some kind of aura, um, aura of light? It's possible, but I'm, I'm not aware of it. Um, and I wonder, remember that Midrashic material is being developed around the same time as the Gospels are, right? So the, the rabbinic, rabbinic society from the year zero to 200, of which, of course, the man Jesus was a part, and then developed further in Midrashic um, material from the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries. That's exactly when the origin stories of Christianity are being developed. So there's, it's, it's not a surprise when there are uh, shared DNA there. Um, Rebecca Leonard or uh, Judy, your hand is your hand up from now or from before? Now. Okay, go ahead. Um, it's the the notion of light emanating from Moshe, and and how it's tied to the beginning of Breshit really captures my imagination. I'd never heard this take before, and it, it occurs to me: okay, the light. So Pharaoh's daughter is gonna feel that light emanating that's what's going to attract her um and also what is light when someone is emanating light that draws people to that person but it also can make people envious or jealous or distrustful and it's such a portent of things to come in his life's journey and i'm just thinking of all that happens all around him and and you just see people reacting to his light in a positive or a negative way. Mm. So it's beautiful to me. Yeah. It is interesting to think of and connect Moshe's mother's reaction here to, to Batya's reaction to Moshe in the reeds. Great. Okay, Rebecca Leonard and then Barry, and then we're going to read a second verse. Two verses of the same day, you're rushing again. <laughs> Uh, you were talking about lights and birth, and it reminded me of the Ladino song, Avraham Avinu, that uh, Nimrod went out in the field and he saw a star in the sky that indicated that 
Avraham Avinu was about to be born, and mm. I don't think that's in the Torah, but maybe it is. But it's a, certainly a legend, anyway. Mm. I'm not aware of that. So- I'm not aware of that song. How does it go? I know that tune. I didn't know that that's what it was too. Um, Hillel Tige uh, from Ikar sometimes does that tune to the Kaddish. It's lovely. Uh, Barry, and then Rick raised his hand. I guess we're going to have to call on him. Go ahead, Barry. Let's see here. Um, um, okay. Uh, I'd like to focus on, on the word Yerachim. Yes. Uh, what, what specifically is that? A yareach is the moon. There are three words for moon in Hebrew. There's okay. um, yareach, there's levana, like the ritual kiddush levana, and then like month, chodesh, from the fact that the, the moon renews itself. So you, you don't really actually refer to uh, okay. a, a moon as month, as chodesh, but a month. All right. So... Uh, I'm 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 in the Zohar space at this whole time. Um, this is Shekhinah is the Yerach. Shekhinah is not a planetary object, but it's Yerach and it's hidden. So this is this this light that we're talking about in 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 the Brayshit. It's a great thing about light, and the Shekhinah is is the hidden light. It is hidden hidden by this, and and that's what's that's what this phrase is that Shekinah from Moshe is being hidden. Thank you, Barry. Rick? No, I'm okay. okay. No. no, I was kidding. I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> um, no, just the, the lose the Israel, the, the light of Israel, uh, Abraham Avinu, um, that, that's a theme for him. Um, light, uh, light to the nations, right? So yeah, it was, it was good. That that's all. Okay, all right. Let's read verse three. Uh, Matt, you want to read? Okay. Um, the the low yachla od hatspino vatikach lo tevet. Okay. See what you can do there. And she could no longer hide him. Good. And she took for him an ark, like, a, like Noah's ark, of Goma. Of Goma, right, which 
We don't really, unless we know what it means, we don't know what it means. And the context doesn't right. help us, but it's right. some, some, ob, some substance. Yeah. And she, she cocked it or she winded it, I'm guessing, with resin and, and pitch. I've Good. Seen, and if we just read those translations, I'm not really sure what that means, but the same bar, I mean, it's, it's obviously waterproof material, natural material. Which suggests that whatever goma is, it isn't waterproof, right? Because because she had right. what she she made she made this vessel out of goma, and then that was enough to hold him, but not to protect right. him completely from the water. So, so the goma was like the structure, and then she waterproofed the structure, something like that. Okay, because a, a waterproof material wouldn't hold just by itself without something to keep it its shape. Uh, the tasiba and, and into it. She put the child and Vatasim and placed then there's a understood it, I guess, and placed it in the Sufis a, a reed or reeds on the bank of the Nile. Right. Amazing how much of the story is told in that one verse. One second, Sue, just focusing on one phrase here as you're as you're also kind of learning how biblical Hebrew continues to work. It may, may have appeared to you already. The verb and the noun are the same root, right? So they, he, clayed it, he clayed it with clay, right? We have versions of that in English also, but Hebrew mm-hmm. loves that, where the, 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 the noun uh, the, and, the, and the object are, is the same root as the verb. And chet mem resh means some kind of a building material. You ha- we have yeah, it yeah. in the, the um, we have that in um, the Tower of Babel. Right? right, some kind of a building material, and in addition to claying it or or mortaring it with mortar or whatever it is, she also added zafed. Zafed is is kind of a like a, a stinky black pitch that is helps with waterproofing, but it's not particularly pleasant. Okay, um, and goma we'll have to figure out from context. Sue, um, it, just my my association with those two words, limoach, like to spread. To spread butter on toast is limachoto, um, um, and the and the zafet, I I know as as zefet, which is the stuff when you walk on the beach in in Tel Aviv and you get black guck on your at the bottoms of your feet and then gotta go and get rid of the black guck. It actually happens here in Santa Monica as well, but you get like you get you you get tar on your feet in the beach right. sometimes, and then you have to go get rid of the zefet off your feet. Right. So exactly it's that right. tar. But it's a good a good thing for keeping water out. And the way you know that is because it's very hard to get it off with water. <laughs> off your feet. It's into water. Matt? Um, the, the altar gives goma as, wick, as wicker. Yeah. Re, um, uh, sometimes t- translated as reed, right? Right. right. Um, yam suf, right? We, we colloquially think that the Jews crossed the Red Sea. That's obviously a mistake, um, geographically and otherwise. Yam Suf is the Hebrew, Kriyat Yam Suf, the splitting of the sea of reeds. The fact reed. that it, it, the reed turned into red in English. Excuse me. So something like reeds. And that also makes sense that if, if she's placing him in the, in the reeds on the, on, the, on the side of the river, maybe she used some of those reeds to make the very vessel that's going to carry him. Okay, other questions. Um, loam and pitch. Uh, good, loam. Yes, that makes sense. Loam, kind of like the, the clay, um, and pitch, 
being concerned. Um, any other uh, questions on the verse? Don't try to solve it yet, or or, or things that that come up to you as you're reading this slowly. Barbara. Um, my translations say flags. She placed it in the flags. Why? What's that word? Flags. What, I don't understand it. What translation are you using? I'm curious. Um, I have to say I've got one. two of them. The Silverman and um, the Pentateuch and Rashi's commentary with individual books. I mean, I'd have to turn they to They both you. use the word flags. I'd have to appeal to all of you. Does anyone know the English word flag as, re- as referencing some kind of a, a, a large grassy thing on the side of a, of a body of water? I, I don't know that usage. But it's laid it in the flags. On the brink of a river. How do we spell it? Flag. F L G S, like a you know the American flag, the Israeli flag. Uh, don't know. I don't. I don't know what it's referencing. But but whatever it is, it's it's clearly some English cognate or some word for large grassy reeds on the side of the river, because that's clearly what suf means, right? So this is why translations are so confusing, because the language into which you're translating the original changes every every decade. It changes every week, but it certainly changes every decade. And so I guess he wouldn't have used that word had it not been uh, one of the translations. What do you got there? Who's saying, Jeff, what does it say? I can't read it. I'm trying to unmute you so you can read that. Can I help, Jeff? Because I just looked it up. It says iris, wild iris. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and uh, Rick is asking, does the Uncleus on Suf help? Uh, Vashavite, oh. I placed it by Yara. Um, at first glance, it doesn't help me because my, my Aramaic is not um, comprehensive. Ya'ar in Hebrew is a forest, so it suggests some kind of like thickness on the side of the river, but it doesn't help understand flag. Um, Joel, so, oh, yeah, go ahead. I, so I, it took a while to unmute. So th- this is, I think this is a Christian source, but it defines flag as a uh, rendered meadow in Genesis 41.2, uh, probably the Kuiperus. Esculentus, a species of rush eaten by cattle, the Nile reed. It also grows in Palestine. Mm. So I guess it's some sort of species of reed. I want you all to find an organic moment in the next week to use the word flag to mean this. And just in a way that just suggests that why wouldn't the person you're talking to know that way? Just, 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 just to throw it in there. Just, just, just ask them if they've ever seen the flags by the Nile and see how they respond. Um, Okay, Joel. You were asking for other questions in the verse, and yeah, please. Um, why couldn't she hide him anymore? Was he, he getting too old? Uh, That—that's the key question, right? We, we're we're jumping on the on the on the pitch and the loam and the and the flags, but if she if she when she saw that he was tov and made a decision based on seeing that he was tov that he was hideable. And she hit him for three months. What happened? Right. So Rashi's response to that is going to awaken again what Larry was talking about in the previous verse that Rashbam says. There's something about the, the, the passage of time 
um, that is that is meaning that this baby can no longer be concealed, right? And oh. we have to figure out what we have to figure out what it is, and that's where I'm just going to give you the not a hint because we're already been discussing it. That's where the notion of his having been born a preemie comes into play because we have to answer the question: What happened to three months? Uh, Larry, is your hand up from now or from before? Okay, Renee. So Everett Fox says the three months is important because it connects it to Genesis. And it's a perfect number which will occur recur with the Israelites' three-month trip to Mount Sinai. Mm. But by three months, also, a baby is more vocal and verbalizes more and makes more noises. So it could be that simply he, because he was more vocal that right. she couldn't felt she couldn't hide him anymore. Right. It could be that the answer to the three months is not at, at nearly as, quote-unquote, interesting as the Midrash we're going to read probably next week. It could just be harder to contain a baby then. Although uh, my children were pretty darn loud from the first day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Barbara and then Norm and then Judy. And then I think we'll call it a day. Go ahead, Barbara. It it seems to me like maybe the Egyptians knew who was pregnant and when they were due. And that they, and that when she had the baby, possibly this is what I think it sounds like. The baby was premature. They didn't know she had the baby early. Right. And she knew it three months later when he was supposedly about to be born, they should check on her. I don't know. That's the way I saw it. So, so, so right on, Barbara. So you're, you're thinking very similar to how the Midrashim that in, in, inform Rashi's comment are thinking that we're living in a surveillance society where if, 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 if it's, you know, local law that you have to go to every newborn male's home and throw them into the river, then everyone's going to be on the lookout for pregnant Jewish women, Israelite women, right? Yeah. Which means that you're going to be, you're going to be trying to predict on your calendar, when do I have to go to this neighborhood? Because that kid is probably going to be born that day. So that, that question, that surveillance question is built into some of the Midrashic answers as to why these three months were a significant period of time. Uh, Norm, uh, <laughs> and then Judy. If he was lighting up the whole house by his mere presence, at a certain point in time, that light is going to become visible also. Great. Really great. Interesting that Rashi doesn't doesn't build on his previous comment in verse 2, on his comment in verse 3 goes a different direction. But if we're going to take Rashi at face value, it, it's, it's hard to hide a luminescent tent in the city of Goshen. Judy, you get the last comment of the day. You got to unmute yourself. Hey. Excellent cliffhanger. Yes. It's an excellent cliffhanger. What happened in three months? But I'm also looking at the Shoresh and thinking Kalva Homer and just kind of smiling that here we see it's the same Shoresh, correct? Yeah. Chet Memresh is one of the most pluripotent Hebrew roots. There's Chamor, a donkey or an ass. There's um, chamar, which is wine. So a, cham- a chamar in, uh, in, in biblical language is both a donkey driver and a wine merchant. There is chomer-like material to build. And there's chamur, which is not chamor. Chamur means stringent. So kal is, is a is, um, is a way of arguing something in, in Talmudic law that you can infer a, a major from a minor. Once you, when if, if, if something is true about a minor case, it's certainly true about a major case. So chet memresh means at least four entirely different things. 
uh, heater, mm -hmm. it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the word that means um, material. Uh, Rebecca mm -hmm. Leonard, are you giving me some word, some etymology here? Let's hear it. Yeah, there's uh, quite a few others as well. Uh, Hamar would be an ass driver of, coming from Hamor, but right. there's also Chemer, which is wine. Right, which I Probably still foaming, whatever that means. And a Chomer is also a measure. Right. A dry measure. Right. Right. Okay, um, let's end it here. We'll start. We, we got through a verse and a half. Not bad. We'll start with Rashi's comment on verse three next time. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.